Well, thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, if you just tuned in, you tuned in at the right time, by the way, because our guest for the day um, is joining us right now. He's Dr. Tim Tucker. And uh, Tim, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where in the world people are listening from. And welcome to Elevated. Thanks. So good to be with you, Jenna I'm excited to chat with you today. Uh, we know what your biography says about you on the back of your book, what the uh, Message South Africa website says about you, but who do you say you are? So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm Tim, and uh, I would say I'm a Cape Townian South African by choice, having moved here uh, 23 years ago, so spent more than half my life now in South Africa, and uh, I love to see young people fulfill their potential. So my life is committed to creating an environment for uh, young people to flourish um, uh, in Jesus, but also in life and to provide a platform uh, for young people to flourish. Um, I'm married with uh, uh, four children. Um, and as we get into my, into my story, those, we'll put those pieces together, uh, no doubt. Um, Sports loving, outdoor loving, uh, people loving person. I definitely look forward to hearing how the pieces of the puzzle comes together. As you just said, as someone who's read your book, Grief and Grace, uh, I can't wait to hear uh, how we get to where you are right now in 2021. But this year, and I think a large part of 2020 as well, has been filled with a, a lot of emotions fear, uh, economic uncertainty, political instability, and certainly a lot of grief. When you look back on your own journey mm. and your book, how do you interpret everything that's happening around us at the moment? Yeah, generally, I mean, that's a great question. I think when my wife passed away five years ago and I went through my own journey of deep grief, I had no you know, firstly, in my own self, I had no journey would look like for myself and, and, and hadn't really um, explored too much what, you know, even grief as a Christian looks like, you know, so I plunged off this cliff and, and felt myself falling into this vo unknown void. And then, uh, you know, and, and then seeing over the past few months and years, so many people going through that same journey, it's, it's made me really, I guess, have a deeper empathy uh, for, for what's happening in the world uh, right now. And, and also, you know, in God's providence, the timing of stories like mine can provide encouragement and hope to people who are facing something that they feel ill-equipped um, to face. Um, so I think, yeah, th there's this shared sense of, of grief and loss out there in the world right now, but we need to find uh, stories and almost a language to express how people are feeling so that we can provide uh, uh, something to hang there, you know, to hang on to when, when it seems that everything else is, is falling apart. You just said that grieving as a Christian is something that we're not sure how to do at the moment, because like you shared in your book as well, when your um, first wife, Laura, died at the age of 38, unexpectedly so, there were a lot of mm. people around the world praying for her. And we see that yeah. right now as well. There's so many people praying for pa patients uh, with COVID-19 in the hospital. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they die. And you battle within yourself with this 
question of, but God, I prayed, where are you? Why did you not intervene? Um, and on the other side, you understand that he's in control and that his will is perfect. But what, what would your advice be just from your experience on how to grieve as a Christian? Yeah, I think, you know, Paul says we don't grieve as those without hope. Um, so we need to, how do we define what hope looks like? in that in the context that we find ourselves in so it's not and i think sometimes historically or you know is that christians were almost scared to to um talk about death and loss because we and and we we use a lot of superficial cliches to try and cover up the pain i think the first there are a couple of things we need to really underline firstly is we're not immune to grief and suffering as christians and secondly it's okay to grieve and to go through pain to be so super spiritual um, that, that we try and deny the feelings um, that we're facing. I think, I think uh, we need to give people liberty to grieve. So what does it mean to grieve as those without hope? Well, I think it means that the grieving journey, even as, as, as you know, the famous Psalm 23 clearly shows us, and, and many of us can quote it, it says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, and, and I often say it's like, you know, there's the Simon and Garfunkel song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Well, God doesn't promise us a bridge over troubled waters. Rather, he, he promises a, a pathway through the troubled waters, and that pathway is that we're not alone, uh, that we don't grieve without hope because we actually, in Jesus, have someone who understands grief and loss, who walked this road with us, who himself grieved at the loss of his own best friend, Lazarus, uh, when he was on earth. And then we serve God the Father, who when Jesus died on the cross, the world went black. So even in that sense, God understands grief. In fact, we, we perhaps underplay how much God understands grief, because I think from God's perspective, you know, his children are suffering and dying on a daily basis. I just sometimes wonder at how he handles the amount of grief he has to cope with and loss and uh, and so sometimes you know as christians we've just got to change our perspective and say it's not that we're immune it's not that there's this this spiritual bypass around it but that actually we can learn more about god even in the midst of our pain and suffering and he can form a character within us that enables us to stand like christ stood who said not my will but yours be done in his darkest hour we need to be able to have that hope that says not my will but yours be done i would never have chosen to lose my wife of 38 and my wife of 16 years at 38 years of age with three with three small children we would never have chosen that particularly i would never have chosen it for my children but i've got to say that if that's where my faith you know the rubber hits the road of my faith and say in spite of what i wouldn't have chosen i've got to say ultimately god was sovereign and he is walking this he continues to walk this path with me you were a single father all of a sudden, like you just mentioned, of three children. Uh, you did not plan for that. And I love uh, how you write in your book about your journey with your daughter's hair, for instance. All of a sudden, you had to now uh, take care yeah. of your, your, your daughter's hair. You speak in your book about facing the future you did not choose. And certainly at the moment, we are finding ourselves at a very similar place, all of us. We are facing a future that we did not choose. How do you do that? Sure. I think, you know, you know even in this current crisis, um, 
that suddenly people are realizing that the dreams and ambitions and goals they've had, um, we have to hold far more lightly than we ever imagined. And I think this is a deep lesson of surrendering everything that we have to God is that, you know, if, if we hold things too tightly, it's almost impossible to face the future. I know even at the beginning of Corona 2020, I lead a ministry. We had grand goals, you know, four weeks before the first lockdown, I, I stood in front of 700 people and, and, and shared our goals for the next two years, you know, and within, within a few weeks, you know, we had to almost, you know, screw them up and throw them away um, because, because everything changed, you know, and, and again, that, that shaking that God is doing uh, at this time, I think is a case of saying, yes, it's, it's, uh, uh, we, as Christians, the, the phrase I've kind of um, adopted to help me navigate even this recent time is, is not to focus on the things that we can't do, but focus on the things that he continues to call us to do, the things that God is still doing in the world and join him in and continue to join him in that and hold sometimes those other things that we thought were so precious, hold them more lightly. And, and unfortunately, you know, in some ways, we've still got to think that way, even about family and friends is ultimately God is in charge. They are his, they are not ours. We are merely stewards in this life and, and as such then we've also got to have an eternal perspective this is this life is just the foretaste for us our task in this life is to be faithful a friend of mine said a couple of weeks ago in a talk he said um god's love language is obedience <laughs> and so you know what we're seeking to be in this life is obedient to him and faithful to him because he is faithful to us recognizing that the rewards of that are an eternal life uh, and eter there are eternal consequences um, at, at stake. So with that, again, with that perspective, I think then we can face tomorrow. <laughs> we, can, we can face the uncertainty uh, because, because, you know, we are, uh, 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 because we can continue to be faithful in those small things, in those daily tasks. Absolutely. You're reminding me of something my husband said um, a while ago. He was saying that we are not called to be great. We are called to be faithful and obedient. And sometimes we can spend our whole lives trying to be great. We must be great, uh, but we are not being faithful. And in this season, we need to remember to be faithful and obedient. That's it. That's all we need to do. Um, I want to take you back to your grieving process uh, for a minute without giving everything away that's in your book. I really want to encourage our listeners to get the book Grief and Grace uh, because at the moment we are looking at people around us who's losing loved ones and it's so difficult to understand the emotions that they are feeling and also to know what to do with the emotions. So can you take us back to the moment when you lost your wife of 16 years? She was only 38 years old. What is it that you were feeling First part of the question, and how did people help you to navigate through or manage what you were feeling? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing in my experience of grief um, was that time really slowed down. <laughs> it's like um, every moment was a struggle. My, my senses of, 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 uh, were far more keenly aware to the challenge of having to even get up in the morning, uh, get through each day. Um, and it's like every hour or every day was, had to be, was a little victory uh, in and of itself, you know, that the challenge of, of 
of grief, I think, is that, that our senses are, you know, are acutely aware of the sadness. There was a deep, deep sadness. Um, and I think that sadness, uh, it, it's like the, the glasses you, you put on your face. It's the lens through which you see everything, you know, and I've chatted so we, we did a video series of grief and grace and it was I was chatting to other people that had lost loved ones and interviewing them. It's incredible how all of us had that similar experience that, you know, the skies it sounds cliched, but the sky is not blue anymore. You know, when other people are enjoying and laughing, how can you be laughing? Don't you know my world has fallen apart? You know, um, so I think we need to validate people in that sadness. Um, we often talk about Job in the Bible and his and his counselors. You know, and Job was on the ash heap and he was in a desperately sad place. And, and the first thing his counselors did was just come and sit with. Perhaps that was the only thing that they did right <laughs> for, for, you know, as soon as they started speaking, they kind of messed up and, and made all kinds of assumptions. Um, but, but actually sitting present with him and giving him, you know, saying you are entitled to feel how you're feeling because we understand your world right now looks like it's fallen apart. I think that's important that we need to give people permission and space to feel the sadness um, that they're feeling, um, but also encourage them to keep, you know, to keep on just each day, you know, pushing on what is the thing that can help you get through each day and each moment of each day. And, and there are little things along the way that helped, uh, helped me in each moment. Uh, th those are the things we can help. And there's no formula for this. Um, how can we have seal some of the memories um, that we had? Uh, how can we find new things to live for on a daily basis? And how do we experience God in the midst of all of that? Thank you so much for staying with us. We continue our conversation now with Dr. Tim Tucker. And you spoke earlier of sealing the memories, of making sure that the person that you've lost kind of does not disappear. And I think you touched on it on your book as well, the fear that Laura would disappear, that she would just be gone and life moves on. How do you move on without uh, feeling like you moving on means you are losing the person that you have lost to death? Yeah. And that's a really, really good question. I think, uh, I, I try and use the language, first of all, of continuing to move through, move through it. Um, so, so, you know, even now, my grief five years later takes different forms and different shades of grief, but I continue to move through it. Um, I think it's important to find ways of communicating what we're going through with those to us. Even though I'm remarried now, I'm able to communicate with her when I'm feeling grief still and when it emerges and she's able to stand like there's a line that we suddenly cross one moment I'm grieving and now I've moved on. Um, I think it continues to be a process uh, that, that we move through. So I think that's an important uh, um, in, in, in the journey. I think, I think as Christians, part of the perspective um, that we have was captured in, in uh, something Angus Buchan sent to me after he, after he found out Laura had died. He said, Laura's, uh, um, Laura's not dead, she's just changed a dress, you know. And so knowing that she's living on in, in eternity with Jesus, obviously it is a comforting thought. Um, I said to God at the stage, you know, God, I'm very jealous. Uh, you know, I always knew that Laura loved Jesus more than she loved me. Um, 
but you know, and I expected to have another 40, 50 years with her, um, but honoring her memory uh, isn't as much about just honoring her past, but also the legacy, uh, the impact that she had had as well, and, and finding ways of being grateful for the lives of those that had been touched by her um, as well and continue to be touched by her. So I think as Christians, you know, recognizing the eternal dimension, recognizing that heaven is real, um, that the loved ones who, who die in Christ uh, are now living with him. Uh, again, in the moment, that is not necessarily the easiest thing to come to terms with, but over time, it becomes a critical part of our healing. And where is God in your grieving process? I think it is different for everybody. Part of the reason for me writing Grief and Grace is the only book I could find written by a man on the subject was uh, C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, which is now about 50, 60 years old, you know. Um, so firstly, the language of it felt old-fashioned. But even as I was reading at times, because he lost his wife to cancer, at times, the way he was talking about God was very different from my experience. Uh, and I was frustrated. And what I came to realize is that God's relationship with us is unique. Um, and so we will respond. You know, this is not a, there's not a formula we can follow as Christians. Um, and I think when I wrote my book, I wasn't trying to write a manual for people to follow. I was rather writing a testimony to encourage people's hearts. So say, even if your journey looks very different from mine, that's fine. Um, but my testimony is that God can still meet you in it. He met with me uniquely in it. So I, I talk about God was my ally. He wasn't my enemy. Now, I never really experienced that deep anger. I never really experienced the silence of God in it. In some ways, I felt uh, through my grief, you know, maybe not in the initial periods, but after two to three months, as I was journaling more and more, God was really speaking and ministering to my soul other people don't experience that at all you hear of people it's silent they have other aspects some people experience the kindness and grace of God in a very real way so I think it's it's acknowledging that, that there's not a recipe to follow that we need in our relationship in our personality God to, to meet us right where we're at I, I want to ask you about the term that you use in your book the new abnormal we normally hear people saying um without my grandmother or my mother or the main breadwinner in the house we now have to create a new normal and even now with COVID-19 we hear people saying it's never going back to normal again there's just going to be a new normal talk to me about the new abnormal you describe in your book I think yeah so I think for me it was my part of my experience was you know, losing discontinuity in my life, you know, so, and because she died of a brain aneurysm, so it was very sudden, um, you know, my life changed very quickly. Uh, and so all of a sudden I was having to, as you, as you alluded to earlier, I was having to face things I just wasn't prepared for. Um, and people said to me, oh, you're having to face the new normal. And I was like, Nothing about my life right now feels normal. <laughs> so how can you call it a new normal? And I feel that even now with the COVID reality, that actually you know, even mask wearing and social distancing 
these were not part of our normal reality 18 months ago. So to call it a new normal in some ways seems to try and soften the blow. And I'm saying, no, this is a real thing. These are difficult things that people are facing. So saying this is the new abnormal, I think, creates a language that, again, gives people permission to feel more uncomfortable, to kind of, you know, I use the word, a brilliant British word, discombobulated. You know, like everything is like your jelly and nothing seems solid any, anymore. And I think that's grief feels like that. Suddenly the solid foundation is gone. The things that we took for granted are gone. And so you've got to kind of found, find, you know, obviously there's Christ and our relationship flows through, but the practical aspects of our life, for me as a single parent, uh, for me in my trying to juggle work and home and, you know, and, and all, the, all the, the new challenges that came along my path, I just wasn't prepared for them. And so the language of this being abnormal, at least for a season, um, enabled me to find a little measure of peace in that, to say, you know what, it's not surprising, I'm exhausted. And I want to say grief is exhausting, you know, so because there's nothing normal about our situation, uh, you know, it's like, yes, it's not surprising that I'm feeling exhausted, I'm tired all the time, I maybe don't have the same level of patience or tolerance that I had before. And I think this also helps friends of loved ones who are grieving to say, you know, if someone's you know, if you're struggling to, uh, to really relate to someone, I think this understanding that everything about their life is now abnormal helps us extend grace and love to them uh, and give them permission to, to kind of face that future that they did not choose. Um, and, and I suppose that's why I, I felt that language. And it's, again, a little bit ironic, I think, where the, the whole world is using the language of new, ab, uh, new normal now. And I'm still banging the drum saying, it's actually abnormal, you know, <laughs> and so and so and so. Let's say say what it is, um, and then allow people to to work from that basis uh, um, uh, to find a way forward in in that in that reality. You speak of the fact that grief and grace can coexist, and often in our minds, um, and sometimes perhaps in our experience, it's like it can only be grief or grace. They can't both be together at the same time or there's only joy or sadness. I can't experience them both at the same time. Very quickly, just take me through that concept, which is also, by the way, the title of your book, Grief and Grace. Yeah, it's, it's very, I mean, that was perhaps my critical learning is that actually within the context of grief, we are actually able to sense the grace of God even more keenly. It's like when life is going on as normal, sometimes, again, we take things for granted. But suddenly when there's this contrast, when suddenly we're in deep pain, um, then I, it's it, you know, over a lining of God's grace can, can begin to shine through in various ways. And so for me, you know, it was beginning to see, yes, there wasn't the great miracle of Laura recovering, but there were thousands of little miracles of just instances in sense God's grace and I think the key thing is if we really believe in Jesus and the grace of Jesus and his grace is if we genuinely believe that it's not just a cliche but his grace is sufficient for us then we will look for it and I think that's the important thing is even in the darkest uh, moment that we're in is to look for those glimpses of God's grace for trusting that he is that he is there uh, and that he can hold those tensions together you know that that he himself is is 
is both the God of glory, uh, uh, the righteous judge, but he's also the gracious, loving, heavenly father. He holds those things together perfectly. And so when we experience those tensions in ourselves, we're actually experiencing more of the magnitude of who God is. Um, and in that sense, we can even say it's a privilege that, that he allows us to, to have some glimpses uh, as to his almighty power um, that, that also is expressed in loving grace uh, to, to us. And God has certainly been gracious towards you. You are now remarried. Uh, you don't have three children. You have four children. Uh, can you please put the puzzle together for me, for those of us who have read the book? Um, how did you get to this point? Yeah, so Christina and I married uh, three years ago. And, uh, and she'd never been married before. So we, we talked early days about whether I'd be willing to get back in the saddle of parenthood. Um, and a year ago, we were blessed with a beautiful daughter. Uh, so she's about to turn, to turn one. Her name is Faith, uh, Faith Yana Abba. And, uh, and so we, I'm on that, you know, I've got an 18-year-old, is my eldest son, and right down now to a nearly one-year-old uh, daughter. And it, yeah, God, again, is part of the lesson that God puts together families. God, uh, if we're in his hands and we surrender everything to him, even in the midst of what seems insurmountable pain and challenge, God can still work uh, and bring about, bring about miracles. And so, and so that's what my life is as a testimony, uh, testimony to him. It's not the necessarily the happy, happy end ever after story. We continue to work through and to, to, to begin to, uh, and whoever of your listeners feels in that space, oh, that's never going to happen to me. I'm in this, I'm lost. I'm in this dark dark place well again just take an encouragement your your journey will look very different from mine um you know it, it, it's not necessarily about finding that necessarily the rainbow and the pot of gold uh rather it's saying what is god doing in and through you in this circumstance that is going to make you more like jesus and enable you to to be a living testimony to him in this world in spite of the very difficult circumstances you may be facing Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Tim Tucker, I want to thank you so much for your time. And I want to just reiterate to our listeners, I believe this book, Grief and Grace, is one that every Christian should have. And especially pastors, those of us who are in ministry, you must have this book. Where do we get the book and how do we support you? So the book is available. Um, it is on Kindle, on Amazon. Uh, but then in terms of uh, bookshops in South Africa, exclusive books do have it in certain stores now, but best to go on their website. If you contact exclusive books, they have it in some stores and available online through them. Um, it's also on Kindle, Amazon, uh, but, if, but also through, through my own website. So I can give you all, uh, which is the contacts are www.grabatau.com. S-I-T-E, grabatow.site, all my contact details and details of all my books and where they can be um, uh, found uh, are on there as well. We can, of course, also go to the website of The Message South Africa. Can you just briefly tell our listeners about the great work you're doing at The Message South Africa? So I'm part of the Message Trust in Cape Town. It's a great privilege to lead this kind of diverse ministry, but we specifically work with youth at risk, uh, in tough neighborhoods, coming out of prison and gangs, uh, that we want to help them find Christ, uh, be discipled, and then become transformational leaders. There's all kinds of programs that we're involved with that would take another interview. Um, but uh, if you want to find out more, then message.org.za 
Um, and that's also linked to our resources and other ways of getting, getting hold of us through that website. Thank you so much, Dr. Tim Tucker. God bless you. And really, once again, thank you so much for opening up. By the way, there is um, uh, some of your journal uh, writings are in the book and so much more that people can get to know about you and your journey. We really, truly appreciate you and your ministry. God bless you and your family. Thanks, Jenna Lee. Thanks for the opportunity.